Hello and welcome to the Future Designs podcast recorded in its Eden Bridge factory. My name is Grant Gibson and in this episode we meet the founder of one of the UK's leading lighting manufacturers which provides lighting around Europe and the Middle East, David Clements. We'll be talking about David's background in the industry and how lighting has dramatically changed in the past decade as well as the joys and pitfalls of making in the UK. Hi David. Hi Grant, how are you? I'm all right, thanks very much for doing this. You're welcome. Uh, can we kick off by talking about your background and how you got into the lighting industry in the first instance? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I worked for an emergency lighting company back in the uh, early mid-80s and the massive crash of uh, the, the 90s, mm. the early 90s, mm. um, saw that go into administration. And I ended up without a job and uh, having been made redundant. And... Um, I didn't ever want to work for anybody again. And so I started Future Designs in November 91. But even before that, how did you end up at that emergency lighting company? It was through my brother. He, uh, he, he was the um, managing director and I'd gone to work for him. So my background was always sales um, from when I left school. Okay. And uh, as, as time went on, it just became something that I felt I, I had a natural ability to really. Mm. So the business started in 91, and how has the industry changed in that time? Massively. um, Yeah, in those days, everything was fluorescent lighting uh, and very old-fashioned fluorescent lighting, which slowly got more and more efficient uh, as people became more and more concerned about our environment. But then, of course, 10 years ago now, uh, the advent of LED coming onto the scene and being looked at, and uh, for two or three years, the reputable organisations like us, like most of the manufacturers in the UK and Europe, steered away from it for sort of two years. Well, that's interesting. Can, can we ask why? Yeah, because there were products coming in from the Far East, from China, where there were massive claims being made as to their efficiency and longevity of life, and they weren't proving to be the case. Mm. And, of course, organisations like us, our reputation is everything. So to have got involved in a product that was coming in from the Far East that was failing, uh, it could cause the failure of your organisation. So is there a moment then when you decide, well, LED is the future, we're going to convert the factory or our thinking to to this new technology? Yeah, there there was. uh, It's probably eight years ago when um, the three blue chip suppliers of, of LED components, so the boards and the uh, drivers that run them, uh, once they committed to five years' warranty, that's when we committed to the products because we have to be backed by the major organisations who we buy our components from. And does a change like that lead to wholesale transformation in the factory? Complete, yes. You've, you've gone from... Um, a lamp, a tube that was full of gas that was actually had mercury in it, um, that was, you look back now and wonder how we ever used them. And the, the disposal of those is massively difficult to a solid state product like uh, an LED, which overnight, it, it, almost within four months, our business transformed. So if you take... Uh, where are we? So we're, we're 19 now. So if you go back to 2010, uh, when 100% of everything we did was uh, fluorescent, mm. to the end of 2012, when only 4% was fluorescent, 
and 96% was LED. So that was the, the massive change. Um, and it, it, it wasn't just us. We're not unique in this. All the major lighting manufacturers in the UK and Europe saw the same effect. All we needed was the clients to have the faith and consulting engineers who had to sign the product off to have the faith in us that we knew what we were doing. And was that easy to, to create, that kind of level of faith? Yeah, I think so, because we, um, as, as an organisation, we, we have a reputation for doing what we say we'll do. And with, with a product like LED, it was so easy to hit the market too early and have massive failures. And there were massive failures across the UK where people had... Uh, put LED products in where the heat dissipation hadn't been dealt with correctly and they were all being changed out. And some of the companies that they bought them from, from the Far East, of course, perhaps weren't there to, uh, to assist it. So we had to have European-based companies who were backing us. So if there were failures, um, it wasn't mentioned. One of the very first jobs we did was the, um, the reception of One Canada, Canada Square at Canary Wharf, where we changed all the um, high bay fittings out there, 30 feet in the, off, off the ground. They reckon it was costing £1,000 to change a lamp. And we changed those, those fixtures out now about seven years ago. They haven't had a single failure mm. in seven years. Mm. So LED has proved uh, to be the correct way to, to move the lighting industry forward. And the energy save, of course, is, is monstrous. It's, you couldn't believe that we've, we've cut energy bills by over 50% in, t- in taking on LED as opposed to fluorescent. Can I take you back to the beginning of the company? And can we talk about, did you have a sense of what the kind of philosophy of the company would be, your ethics? Very much so, because they're based on my beliefs in life, and that's honesty, integrity, employ qualified staff. If you don't have qualified staff, train those staff and qualify them within your organisation because the organisation is only good as the people that you that you employ. And if you take that from that day to today where we, we employ something around 150, 160 people now, but the office we're in here, there's six people out there that have all been here over 20 years mm. and two of them have never actually worked for any other organisation. Mm. So I think we do something, right? I'm not quite sure. So how many people did you start with back in 91? Four of us. <laughs> we were lent a factory space in Streatham by a very good friend of mine who's since passed away, but he owned a huge suspended ceiling supplying company and he lent us uh, probably a space the size of this office um, as our first place to build our light fittings. So we were having the metalwork done somewhere else and we were then assembling and bolting control gear in and putting reflective louvers into it and putting it in a box and sending it out. And we had that for about 18 months. And then I rented our first factory in Croydon, uh, which we had for, I don't know, about seven, eight years. Then we moved down here to Edenbridge, um, which which is when I brought my partner out. Um, So I bought him out, but at the same time, the landlord wanted me out of my rented premises and I saw this and bit the massive bullet and bought this freehold. And did you have a plan, David? Did you have a sense of where the company would go? I knew where I wanted it to go, mm. whether in those early days I had the confidence to, to take it. I was never sure. But I've, I've always believed in the integrity of an organisation and repeat business. And if you care for your client and 
like every business, if you get something wrong, you must throw resource, funds, whatever it is that needs throwing at to make it correct. Because the brand, the Future Designs brand, has become a, a, a massive brand in the UK and across Europe and the UAE now. Mm. So I, I probably never expected it to get to the size it is now, where it sits probably... Well, it sits in one of the top five privately owned manufacturers in the UK. Can we talk about manufacturing? Obviously, Honda and Nissan have been in the news recently about leaving the UK. Um, manufacturing and the UK have not been natural bedfellows, it would seem to many people, for the past 20, 25 years. Um, how easy is it to manufacture in the UK and how important was it that you made in this country? Two very interesting points you make there. The first one regarding Nissan and Honda where I think Honda are just pulling out of a, a particular factory now, which is at end of life, and I think they're taking it to Mexico. Mm. Um, but that's a financial... That's, that's, they've gone there because it's cheaper, and that was probably planned for the last eight or nine years. When, as regards to us manufacturing here, it would be impossible for us to have a manufacturing facility not here. So the UK has an, an exceptional workforce for manufacturing and innovation and the skill sets that we have. If you, if you look at, and I'm going to digress a little bit, but if you look at the Formula One industry and how massive that is in the UK, it's not here by accident. It, it's here because the best engineers, the best technicians, some of the best brains are, are in this country. And manufacturing here has always been a, a little bit... Um, l- look down on I suppose I say to people people say what do you do I say I'm in manufacturing really what do we still make things well there's thousands of us out there hundreds of thousands of companies like us making high quality products and I'm enormously proud that everything that we that we supply is manufactured or assembled here in the UK do you think it's important to change that perception of manufacturing in this country? It would be wonderful if governments paid a little more attention to us, but more so, I think, schools. When I was at school, we had woodwork, we had metalwork, which were subjects I loved because you saw, you physically saw something, you got involved in it. But we seem to have moved away from that. And, and we can't all have a BSc in geography or philosophy or whatever it is because we're not all like that and if you walk into my factory out there I've got some very very bright people who know exactly how to how to develop and assemble products very quickly but they might not be academics but if we all go down this road of being academic we're going to leave generations behind and I think that's a great scare. And that's why we, we spend quite a lot of time in local schools trying to promote ourselves because not all kids that come out are going to go to university. Mm. It's not going to happen. Can we talk about the growth of the business? Yeah, sure. Uh, British Gas. This was an important project to you, and I'm wondering why. Well, well the company was about four months old. And right. Uh, we, won a, we won a project for British Gas, which was probably far bigger than we, to the outside world, that we were seen <laughs> able to, uh, to produce for. But we did. It was in Holborn. Um, I don't know, I think it was about 700 light fittings in that time, which was a monstrous amount. It's the sort of thing we turn out of here now in about five hours. Um, but it, 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 was, it was that quantum leap and, and a consulting engineer having the faith in us to put us forward um, and prove that we were able to do what we said we would. And that's how the company has progressed, really. 
And now you're working on projects, I mean, enormous projects like Crossrail, for instance. Oh, yeah. Uh, can we talk about some of the things in between that have been vital to the, the kind of catalyst of growth, if you like? Yes, I think uh, the, the company's ethos was to, um, to, to prove to the end users as much as anybody that we were capable um, the major international banks within Canary Wharf and the City of London, we pride them amongst our best clients. And whilst they don't write in that we're preferred, they don't uh, give us a framework agreement, they know they're in a very safe pair of hands using us, which is vital to us. Mm. And the consulting engineers see that and understand that we have a good reputation. And, and, so, and so it moves forward. And what about Imperial College? I mean, the education sector was quite important. That, that, that was, again, that's 15, 16 years ago. And we were given the, the opportunity to bid for their framework. And uh, it took a year. should have taken three months. And we became one of three suppliers. But the other two suppliers were companies that at those times were sort of 50, 60 times our size. And to be put onto a framework of an organisation like Imperial College. It was actually more important to us as a PR exercise to, to show other people that we'd managed to reach this point mm. than it was in money. Let's talk about Crossrail. What are you doing there? We've almost finished our bit, so don't blame <laughs> us. <laughs> it's um, not your fault. <laughs> no, we, we got um, approached by Crossrail four years ago now, and there was a specific Uplight product that they were having huge issues in getting developed it's uh, 50,000 lumen output, which is probably about, I don't know, four or 500 times what's in this office at the moment. But the, the, the issue they had was because it was an uplight, was dissipating the heat from the LED because heat wants to rise and we were trying to drag it down. And they said, would we consider looking at it? And we said yes. And three years later, we supplied all these massive products which weigh in at 85 kilos each. Wow. But on the back of that, they then had an issue on, on the escalators and the light fixtures that fit between the escalators on the five major stations, the, all the new stations. And we, um, and we developed that. And there was, there was many issues with glare because you're moving past this light. And uh, there was a special baffle that was made to assist with people with epilepsy. And again, it's proved really, uh, really successful. And they're all installed now as well. You've had all these successful projects, both in the UK and abroad. Um, have you kind of been able to discern what it is that makes future unique? Why did clients keep coming back to you? It's a really interesting point. Um, how do I put this without sounding t terribly crass? We, we do what we say we'll do. We have an exceptional reputation for delivering first-class product. Our aftercare and backup is absolutely second to none. So if you were talking to our client base, I think everybody would say that everybody can produce a product and nothing goes wrong. That's fine. That's what we all aim to do. But when things do go wrong, it's how organisations like us react. Because generally, we don't make one mistake, we make thousands. Mm. Because we're making thousands of a, s a single product. Now, it might be component issue, it could be something that's, that's wrong within the lens. It could be something that's wrong within the metalwork. But we very rarely make one mistake. And it's how we put that mistake right speedily and with the least impact to the client. So it's learning from failure fundamentally. But for, yeah, yeah, I, th I think so. And, and in all the years I've been doing this, you, you never reach the point where that goes away. Um, there will always be the day the phone rings and someone says there's a problem and it's how we 
how we react to that. We, we never turn our back on a problem. We'd far rather go and put it right and have the fight later as to who's whose problem it was. But at the end of the day, my core belief is that the client, that who the man whose money is at true risk, who's moving in there, he has to be happy. And if he sees my product and he's not happy with it, he's not going to recommend us. He's not going to want to see, see us use again. And we don't live in that world. We live in the world where we make it right for those people. And you're expanding. Dubai. Yep. yep. Why Dubai? Why Dubai? Um, the, the market here had gone very quiet after the Lehman's crash. And it didn't actually affect future designs for about three years afterwards because projects were still getting built and finished, but there was nothing coming behind them. So it was probably two and a half years behind that. And I looked down this tube and thought the London, the UK market particularly was on its feet. And I felt that there had to be somewhere else we could go. So I went out, I I spent four months in the UAE over a year looking at how I could move out there and to see if there was work there. A lot of our blue chip clients here, two of the major oil companies who we do huge amounts of work for in the UK and Europe, had massive organisations out there, as they would, because there's oil out there. Mm. Um, And they convinced me that there was work to go after so we invested quite heavily in, in setting up our, uh, our uh, office out there. But we then had a hit where oil price actually dropped enormously um, and the oil company stopped spending as well. So we then had to go looking at other markets out there. So f- from what we thought was an easy win, it, nothing's ever that easy with us. <laughs> uh, but it's proved over, we've been just there just over six years now um, I have a regional director who runs uh, the UAE from Dubai. Great guy, Andrew Boydell. And he's doing exceptionally well. And we're now getting the same sort of reputation that we have here in the Middle East for doing what we say we'll do. Are there cultural differences working over there? Um, Strangely, no. Most of uh, the engineers are um, South African, Australian, um, European, UK. So if you go into a hotel in Dubai, you'll still put a 13-amp plug in the wall, which says how much the, the UAE think of the UK standards and the British standards and the European standards. So it's a far easier place to work than people might think. Mm. And, I, you know, and I'm a believer that people in the UK should look to go out there because we are welcomed. The Arab world thinks a, a huge amount of, uh, of, of the UK professionals. And you fairly recently opened a new showroom in Clerkenwell. We did our virtual showroom. And, and yeah. why, why Clerkenwell? Why did you decide to do that? Um, <laughs> we, we've got a, we, we have a sales and design office in Canary Wharf, which we've had 11 years now. But there was always the feeling that we were a little bit on the periphery and getting people out to Canary Wharf was never easy, uh, particularly the architects and design community, which is based in Clerkenwell. And uh, the opportunity came up for this space. And I I didn't want a showroom where we showed our product. That sounds pretty crazy, but just to put (laughs) put a square (laughs) box or a round fitting in a ceiling and go, there you go. Everybody does that. They know what we do. So I looked at it and thought, right, let's do it differently. So we've set this up with this massive TV screen that's five metres by 2.8 metres 
where we show presentations. But in addition to that, we film our projects and we take people to show them how we've developed these projects. And we've now gone into the virtual reality world where we're making 360-degree films. So you can put the, the mad glasses on that you see and we'll walk you around Canary Wharf. We'll walk you into three or four of the buildings that we've lit. We'll take you to some of the strangest places in the country that we've done projects. But you can, you're in Clerkenwell, but you can go and see the finished and I believe that's the way showrooms will become because there is no need to see the tin box in a false environment like a three, 4,000 square foot space in, in Clerkenwell. David, our time is nearly up. Uh, so this is really the final question. Um, what's your vision for the future? The lighting industry has changed enormously. How do you see futures or future, for want of a better phrase? Again, you, you asked a very interesting question. I'm immensely proud of the business that we've built and whilst I'm the, the, the head of it, I'm only as successful or the business is only as successful as it is because of the people that we've employed. Um, so we're very skillful at employing people. It's infectious. The people out there who join, they fall into our ethos, into our way of working, into the comfort way, into making sure that they strive, that they want to do better for themselves and that they see that there's a succession plan. You know, we have a, a young guy here who, who now sits on our board. He's only ever worked for us. He started as a cleaner in my first factory 24 years ago. Uh, he's now main board director of the company, and he's our living proof. But there's many success stories out there. So I just want to see it keep growing, keep doing what we're doing, do it well, and we'll all be successful. And that's the word that matters to me. It's not money, it's success. Well, that's a lovely place to finish. Our time is up. David Clements, thank you very much. Thank you.